You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, we've got great news. Ryan Schlipp has been located. I know a lot of people have been concerned about his whereabouts. We found the men who were holding him hostage and made a phone call, went in, extracted Mr. Schlipp, and I'm proud to report he is safe and sound. And uh, as a matter of fact, we've actually got that very phone call recorded. So I'm going to play that for you right now. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let Ryan go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. That's right, you heard it here first. Mr. Ryan Schlipp is back home safe and sound. We got him taken care of, got him out of the out of the bad guy's hands. We had to break out a little roadhouse, and, and that's what we did. It was me, it was J.J. Leahy, it was Goose, it was Jacob. The whole crew got together. We watched Roadhouse on loop for about eight straight hours, got hyped up, made the phone call, went in, rescued him, and now he'll be back to podcasting. So uh, welcome back, Ryan. And I know everyone who's listening is very happy about that. But welcome in to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton Bailey. I am your host. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. And on tap for today, we uh, we got some great, great feedback um, on the uh, wide receiver episode where we broke down the contracts at that position. And I, it was it was really cool to see how surprised everyone was to uh, come to the realization that, wow, we have spent little to no money on wide receiver. Rather than looking at the negative of, man, we don't have a number one, we don't have Devontae Adams anymore. Um, you know, it's funny, we took took that draft capital, we flipped it into two, what's probably going to be most likely starting defensive players in our nickel defense, which I think is great, great compensation for, for Devontae when you think about it. And it's funny, I was listening to a Milwaukee show um, earlier today. It might have been recorded yesterday. And they were basically felt the same way. And these are some negative Nancys. These are some people that usually uh, are pretty negative about the Packers. And they said, man, when you look at it, if you ask me now, hey, would you rather have Devontae Adams back or would you rather have these two uh, these two players, right? You know, it'd be hard-pressed to say, yeah, give me a 30-year-old Devontae with $30 million in cap hit, you know, year in and year out. 
and uh, and you keep the two young studs on defense. You know, another angle that was brought by another Milwaukee show was, um, you know, a lot of people were saying they should have traded up and got Chris Olave. Well, if you look at it and say, okay, this is their their perspective, they were like, well, if you give me that option, trade up and get Chris Olave, or stay back, draft Quay Walker, draft uh, Devontae Wyatt, and then also get Christian Watson, I'm taking that deal all day long. So I think people were really coming around to the idea of how um, of how Brian Gutekunst handled this draft, and I think it's huge. I really, really do. But we got great feedback on the wide receiver, breaking that down and, and covering contracts. And, and you know, uh, what we thought we would do today is let's look at the offensive line. You know, that was one of the big talking points. You have wide receiver, offensive line, and edge seem to be the top priorities in most people's eyes um, going into the draft, going into the offseason. So now that we've filled those spots, right? Let's kind of look at that secondary need in offensive line and say, okay, what does the contracts look like? What do they look like at the offensive line position right now? All right, let's we're going to dive under the hem. We're going to put our GM cap on and we're going to say, okay, let's let's look at this contract situation and see maybe where we need to trim some fat, no pun intended, or you know, is it something where we could spend more money on the offensive line position? I think you guys are going to be kind of surprised at how those numbers shake out um, as well. So um, we're going to be covering the offensive line, the hog mollies, the double chin crew is what I call them, right? And, and in honor of that, I thought we would cover one of the greatest Green Bay Packers to ever play the game, and he was an offensive lineman himself, and that was Mr. Cal Hubbard. Cal Hubbard played for Curly Lambeau's Packers. So that's going to be our history segment today. So like I said, guys, just uh, settle in, get comfortable. Um, you know, Like we always say, hide from the boss, pour you a cold drink, whatever you got to do, it's going to be a good episode. All right, Mr. Cal Hubbard. I'm sure you guys have heard that name over and over again. He's a pro football Hall of Famer. He's obviously in the Packer Hall of Fame. Um, I heard Cal Hubbard, and I, and I really, uh, I, I never, never really thought about okay, what position did he actually play? Uh, I knew he was an essential part to the to Curly Lambeau's Packers, but we all know there's hardly any footage, if any at all, of that of those teams playing in that era. It's kind of hard to. Uh, look at statistics for offensive line back then. You know they weren't keeping up with any, and a lot of those players were two-way players. They they just played different roles in a different era of football. But uh, Cal Hubbard is is one of a kind. So let's just jump right in here. Cal Hubbard was born in Keatsville, Missouri, to parents Robert P. and Sarah Sally Ford Hubbard. He grew up in the modest and modest means as the son of a small family farmer. Cal graduated from Keatsville High School, but because the school had no football team, here's another example we talked about, Don Hudson only playing one year of football, and then goes on to be arguably the greatest receiver to ever ever play the game, right? Um, It said because his team had no football team, his high school had no football team, he also attended one year at Glasgow High School in nearby Glasgow, which did offer football. Already tall and weighing 200 pounds as a 14-year-old, Hubbard displayed natural athletic gifts. He aspired to attend the United States Military Academy at West Point, New York. Um, However, a physical discovered he had flat feet, eliminating him from eligibility. What a different time, man. It's unbelievable. Um, From an early age, Hubbard was involved in sports. He umpired pickup baseball games at the age of 18. You want to make a side note of that because we're coming back to that here shortly. Hubbard chose to attend a college or university that offered football, um, selecting Chilcoth, I think is how you say it, Business College in Chilcoth, Missouri while also continuing to work around his family farm. A chance meeting in 1922 with Bo McMillan, um, the new football coach at 
Centenary College in Shreveport, Shreveport, Louisiana, led Hubbard to enroll and play football there from 1922 to 1924. Hubbard was the school's first All-American. So a first All-American for that college there in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, Georgia Tech coach Bill Alexander once watched uh, when it was in a small town to play Oglethorpe. Bo, this Oglethorpe bunch, has fast backs, but the line is light and green. If you turn that Hubbard loose, he might kill some of them. Have Cal hurt his knee. Why don't you? And let him sit on the bench. <laughs> so there you go. There's your first... Uh, there's your first uh, sign of, uh, or proof, I guess you could say, of Bounty Gate, right? That goes way, way back to the 1920s. When McMillan moved to suburban Pittsburgh's Geneva College, Hubbard followed him and played there in 1926, so a whole different era of the transfer portal, too, evidently. After a year of elig- ineligibility for switching schools in 1925, Geneva opened the season with an upset of Harvard. In an era where when six-foot players were considered tall, Hubbard was noted for remarkable speed for a player of his size. He listed at officially six-foot-two, 253 pounds, but in some cases was listed as high as six-foot-five in Green Bay Packers sources. So you don't know if they were lying. Curly could have been lying. We know he did his share of that in his day, um, and it could have been something that he continued to grow. Who knows? But uh, he starred as a tackle and end playing off the seven-man line in a similar a style similar to that of modern linebackers. So he actually played what would be considered today as a modern linebacker on defense. Hubbard completed his uh, college education in 1927, earning a Bachelor of Arts degree with Geneva College. So his football career. Hubbard moved on to the National Football League in 1927, signing with the New York Giants for a salary of $150 per game. You guys remember the story about uh, Don Hudson, you know, um, saying that most of his teammates, if not all, thought he just made $150 a game when indeed Curley was using two different banks, so no one in town would catch on to the fact that he was actually getting paid $300. So sounds like Cal Hubbard was getting paid $150 a game when he first broke in with the New York Giants. Playing alongside Steve Owen his rookie year, he helped the Giants' defense allow opponents to score just 20 points all season as they won the league championship. For his efforts, Hubbard won all league honors by the press the following year. But with a lifelong dislike for big cities, he didn't feel comfortable in New York. And a 1928 road game in Green Bay led him to request a trade to the Packers, threatening to retire otherwise. So here you've got a situation, a case where in, in most cases, players, you know, at least the media makes it out like players don't want to play in Green Bay because there's nothing up there, right? You guys have heard the famous quote, I believe it was by T.O. when he was taking his little free agency tour. And and excuse my language, but he said, there ain't a damn thing to do in Green Bay. Well, here you've got Cal Hubbard who hated the big city and requested to be traded to Little Green Bay. That's pretty cool. Under Packers coach Curly Lambeau, Hubbard and the team won the NFL title in each of his first three years there. Holy cow, he had already won one title with the Giants. And then it said Hubbard and the team won the NFL title in each of his first three years there. So his first three years in Green Bay, 1929, 30, and 31, led him to a championship. The 1929 team surrendered just 22 points. Lambeau had Hubbard play in the line, uh, ending his linebacker days. The NFL named its first official 
all-league team in 1931 with Cal Hubbard being one of the one on the inaugural list. He was chosen for that honor again in 1932 and 1933. Mel Hines said Hubbard was, quote, probably the greatest tackle I ever played against. Once while playing the Chicago Bears, this is a cool story. Once while playing the Chicago Bears with Ukrainian fullback Bronco Nagurski. Guys, I know we, we're bear haters on here, right? But if you want a really cool story, just go to, you can go to YouTube and watch video. Look at Bronco Nagurski, who was a fullback for the Bears. He was an absolute monster. This guy had a forehead that looked like the grill of a 57 Chevy. I mean, he was tougher than a $2 steak. Guy's unbelievable to, to read up on and watch. But it says, uh, once while playing the Chicago Bears with Ukrainian fullback Bronco Nagurski, the Bears prepared to punt. Hubbard went to the halfback Red Grange and said, I promise not to try to block the kick, Red, but get out of the way so I can take a shot at that Polak. <laughs> Grange, glad, glad to not have to try to block Hubbard for once, obliged. Cal tore through the line, slammed into Nagurski, and bounced off. Rising slowly, he turned to Grange and said, Hey, Red, don't do me any favors anymore. <laughs> I love stories like that. It's just unbelievable. Bronco, man, what a beast. Hubbard stepped away from the professional football, from professional football, uh, following the 1933 season, taking a job as the line coach at Texas A&M in 1934. So he actually coach college football. That's cool. Didn't know that. However, he was persuaded to return to play after the one year on the sidelines. Returning to Green Bay in 1935, the Giants wooed him back to start 1936 with them, but he only played in six games the entire season. Five for the Giants and a final game for the Pittsburgh Pirates, the future Steelers. Hubbard returned to football coaching briefly, serving as a head coach of his alma mater, Geneva College, in 1941 and 42, he was among the initial class of inductees into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1963. In a 1969 poll by the Hall of Fame committee, Hubbard was voted to the NFL's greatest voted the NFL's greatest tackle of all time. What an honor. That's that's absolutely awesome. So, we're going to get into something a little bit different. Check this out. Even while Hubbard's football career was going full force, he began to focus on a second career in baseball officiating. From 1928 onward, he spent his entire or his football offseason umpiring in minor league baseball. By 1936, Hubbard had been called up to the major leagues, umpiring in the American League from 1936 to 1951. Almost 20 years of service, guys, umpiring major league baseball. A contemporary with the, the likes of Yogi Berra. Soon recognized as one of the game's best officials, he was selected to work in the 1938 World Series, followed by series appearances in 1942, 46, and 49. In addition, he umpired in the All-Star Game in 1939, 44, and 49 behind the plate of half of the 1939 and 1944 Midsummer Classics. This guy was all over the place. Hubbard found the then common practice of officials moving to different positions on the field during a game to be confusing and hampered accuracy when making calls. Applying his football experience to baseball, he devised a system where each official had clearly defined duties and also added an additional official to the crew. This was the foundation on which MLB established new officiating standards in 1952. So he basically rewrote the game plan for how baseball was officiated. That's really cool. While he was hunting during the 1951 offseason, a ricocheting pellet from a friend's shotgun blast accidentally struck 
Hubbard in the right eye. The damage was extensive enough to force his retirement from baseball officiating. However, the American League soon hired him as an assistant supervisor for league officiating crews, and in 1954, he became the top supervisor, a position he would hold until retiring for good in 1969. So in his final years here, it says, Never a big fan of big cities, Hubbard had moved to Milan, Missouri in 1944. He left in 1945 and moved back in 1948 for good. Balaam was a small town, much like his native uh, Keatsville, which is about 50 miles to the south of Missouri Route uh, 5. A lifelong avid fisherman and hunter, the rural areas of Sullivan and neighboring counties offered ample opportunity. Hubbard stayed involved in community affairs, especially children's sports, as much as his schedule would allow. In honor of his efforts, the football field at Milan High School is actually named Cal Hubbard Field. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. It says Hubbard developed, uh, I don't know how to say that word, but it's obviously an illness in the last few years of his life. So doctors suggested that he move away from the cold weather in Missouri. He relocated in 1976 to St. Petersburg, Florida, in recognition of his contributions to the game as an umpire and supervisor. Cal Hubbard was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1976, only the fifth umpire to be honored uh, honored up to that time. Hubbard died to cancer um, due to cancer October 17, 1977, in St. Pete. He's buried in Oakwood Cemetery in Milan, Missouri. He was survived by his wife Mildred and two sons, Dr. Robert Hubbard. And William Bill Hubbard. Now, I usually don't like to get into stuff outside of football and talking, you know, in that regard. But that's just absolutely amazing, guys. Here you've got a Green Bay Packer that won a world championship his first three years in Green Bay after winning a world championship with the New York Giants. I mean, success followed him everywhere he went. And here's a guy who is a pro football Hall of Famer, but he's also in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame as an official. Like as an umpire, that's that's just remarkable. I mean, it's really really cool. So here are his career highlights and awards. It says uh, um, he's a four-time NFL champion, 1927, 29, 30, and 31. So he literally won his four championships four out of five years that he was playing there. Uh, you know, one with the Giants in a five-year stretch. Four of those years, he won world championships. He's a four-time first-team All-Pro in those same years. NFL 1920s All-Decade Team, NFL 50th Anniversary All-Time Team, NFL 75th Anniversary All-Time Team, NFL 100th Anniversary All-Time Team, Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame, and uh, a couple other honors there locally. So, I mean, that's a guy that, you know, when you, you want to talk about successful people. Success follows, you know, certain people around. I don't think that's by happenstance. I think it's because people work their tail off to uh, just to, to soar to the very top of their profession. This guy was successful in every avenue of his life. It sounded like he had a successful marriage as well. Seemed like a really good guy. And I definitely relate to someone coming from a small town and uh, and, and kind of avoiding the big city. That's uh, very similar to, to how I am. So, again, Cal Hubbard, an amazing Green Bay Packer. Uh, an amazing NFL football player, an amazing Major League Baseball official, umpire, um, just an amazing man. So uh, there's your history segment. Now you know when people talk about Cal Hubbard playing for Curly Lambeau, the big thing that sticks out to me that I'm going to say is, yeah, dude, that guy won a world championship his first three years arriving in Green Bay. Uh, obviously, Curly knew what he was doing recruiting him. And that's another thing, too, when it says he requested a trade from the big city to Green Bay after playing an away game. What does that sound like? 
Because to me, it sounds like Curly Lambeau probably did a little bit of recruiting right there on, on the field. Much like if you guys remember the Johnny McNally story, right? John McNally, uh, you know, Curly Lambeau recruited him because they played against his team. And McNally scored, I think, the final two touchdowns, if I remember correctly, to actually give him the lead and beat Curly Lambeau's Green Bay Packers that year. So Curly uh, obviously was was scouting all over the all over the country. But then when he would play certain teams, he was kind of fudging the rules, going across uh, across enemy lines, probably offering a cold beer and saying, hey, why don't you come play for me for more money? That's just the beauty of Curly Lambeau. So Cal Hubbard, another Packer legend in the books. That's our history segment. Hope you enjoyed it. Now let's take us a quick commercial break. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, so now we're going to put our GM cap on again just like we covered the wide receiver position. And, guys, the reason I'm doing this, first of all, had somebody reach out on Twitter and they asked us to do this with the offensive line position. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and uh, I, I just think that this time of the year, it's so easy for podcasters to mail it in. You hear them all the time. Well, we're in the dead part of the season. Got to find something to talk about. And they never cover the details of the things that what I feel are very, very important to Packer fans or just football fans in general. Why not take this dead time in between, you know, where we're having some OTAs, right? We got a little bit of that going on. But before training camp, 
let's take this time and kind of dive into the roster and say, okay, what do the contracts look like? Where can we trim some fat? Where where do we have a little bit of space to spend money, maybe even next year? I want to kind of project, show you what we got on the books for this year, and then also show what does next year look like, okay? And when we look at the offensive line position, I was kind of surprised. Um, I don't know why. I know where these players came from. I know they were the majority of them were drafted a little bit later. You know, none of them were first round picks. Um, to the best of my knowledge, yeah, none of these were first round picks. And I'm going off of my projection of of what I feel like the lineman that will make the 53 man roster um, if everyone was healthy. We may have Elton Jenkins most likely starting on the pup list, right? The physically unable to perform list. Um, but these are the the top nine, if everybody were healthy, this is who I feel like would be making the team. So let's look at the contracts. And I'm going to try to do them in order of most expensive to cheapest, okay? And right off the bat, the big talking point is David Bakhtiari. You know, when you look at David Bakhtiari's cap hit this year, it's actually pretty reasonable. $13.4 million cap hit. You know, he did a little bit of a, a restructure there. Um, I believe it was this year. Yeah, in the offseason. Uh, to free up some cap room this year. And uh, when you look at that cap hit for 2022, again, it is $13.4 million for this year. I think that is great. If he's healthy and he comes back as strong as ever this year, right, um, I think it's going to have a big impact on the team. I really do. I don't think it was any coincidence that that Big Bob Tunyon had his best year in 2020. Granted, it, you know, he didn't grade out great. And he caught a lot of touchdown passes, and sometimes I feel like touchdowns can sometimes be an inflated stat. It makes someone out to be this, like, this, you know, someone who's better than they actually are. To me, that's one play. I want a guy who's going to make a multitude of plays consistently, right? But I think Bob Tunyon had that. I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the last year that we actually had Bakhtiari, um, you know, in the lineup. And I think the reason that freed Bob Tunyon up is because what it proved was before he got hurt last year, he was having to chip a lot, right? Whether it's Josh in at offensive lineman or Elton playing over there and, and trying to get acclimated to the left tackle position, um, even when Josh was there or whatever, I, I feel like Tunyon was having to chip quite a bit. So I think there is a little bit of that David Bakhtiari factor that's going to come into play, uh, not necessarily with Bob Tunyon if he's not ready to go for week one, but I think it's just going to free the tight end up a little bit more. It's a lot easier for Aaron to come to the line, identify the mic, look at the protection, and go, okay, yeah, you're free, no need to chip, go down and get in your route quick. I think that's really going to uh, – to put a little bit of strain on the defense if that, if David Bakhtiari is healthy. But when you're talking about a $13.4 million cap hit this year, I feel like that's well worth a healthy Bakhtiari, obviously. Now, where it gets tricky is next year, okay? Next year, in 2023, that cap hit jumps to $29.0 million, okay? So basically $29 million and a little bit of change, like $65,000. So let's call it $29 million. I mean, that's a lot of money. That's a $16 million increase against the cap. Um, I look at that and I go, okay, are they going to pay him $29 million? To me, it seems like maybe you extend him somehow. Uh, maybe you, I don't, I don't know if you can restructure it again. I think that, you know, with the way that things kind of work, you know, uh, throwing in the yearly cash to, to restructure a deal, I've never heard of anyone doing that twice. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm not a cap guru. But uh, at $29 million, that's a tough one. But it gets even worse in 2024. $32 million cap hit. But here's the, the important number. For the $29 million cap hit next year, 
the dead cap is $23.1 million. What that means is next year, if the Green Bay Packers cut David Bakhtiari, yes, they're going to take a huge $23 million cap hit, and they would only save roughly $6 million against the cap, okay? And you're, you're releasing your, your, your best offensive lineman. So when you see a $29 million cap hit, you think that can't be, there's no way he can stay on the roster. When you look at the rest of the offensive line's pay scale, it kind of makes sense. Now in 2024, that $32 million cap hit for David Bakhtiari, the dead cap is only $11 million. So you're talking about freeing up $21 million by cutting him in 2024, if indeed they don't restructure in some, some way or fashion, right? So what it tells me is, I honestly believe David Bakhtiari will be on the team through 2023 if he's healthy, okay? Now, any, nothing's off the table right now. I mean, God forbid, I, I would hate to see this, but, I mean, if the injury still, you know, occurred, if it still lingers, who knows, he may have to retire early. We don't know, right? Uh, let's hope that's not the case because I love David Bakhtiari. I love what he brings to the team. I love the fact that he was a late draft pick, but he's 30 years old right now, guys. He's 30 years old, so next year he'll be 31. So in 2024, he'll be 32. Now, people like Andrew Whitworth out there with the L.A. Rams that just retired this year have proven that you can play well into your 30s if you're an elite tackle, and I do consider David Bakhtiari an elite tackle. Um, but with that being said, I think it's safe to say he's going to be on the roster next year if he's still healthy. But 2024, if there's no restructure in place, you're really going to probably have to cut him loose. So let's move on to number two on the list, and that's Elton Jenkins. Elton Jenkins, according to Spotrack, is showing him at $4.7 million cap hit this year, okay? He is in the final year of his contract. And to backtrack with David Bakhtiari, that 2024 year is the final year of his contract, so he's got three years left, including this year, okay? So Elton Jenkins is in a contract year. Um, it just really, really sucks that that ACL popped when it did. Because, I mean, it's better than it popping this year and putting, you know, putting more pressure on on Elton Jenkins, you know, in a, in the very last year of his contract. This is kind of giving him a fair shot to get ready. Now, if we want to keep Elton Jenkins, let's say Elton Jenkins is one hundred percent healthy, right? You've really got two options. You extend him. When I say 100% healthy, I mean he'll come back this year and be the Elton Jenkins of old. He may start on the pup list. I don't see how he wouldn't start on the pup list. Um, so when he comes back in week six or whenever it may be, um, I think uh, I think that at that point it's okay. You've got two options. You're either going to extend him or you're going to plan on franchise tagging him. Now, when you franchise tag him, this could get a little bit tedious because is he a tackle or a guard, Right. And when you talk about the the difference in that, I'm sure I don't know the exact franchise tag differences between tackle and guard, but I'm sure it's uh, it's somewhat different. It's kind of like that whole thing with Jimmy Graham in New Orleans, where they had their falling out, where he wanted to be tagged as a wide receiver, and they had to I think they had to send it to arbitration to prove that no, he's actually a tight end, even though he was getting touches like a receiver, he was getting flexed out like a, a wide receiver. Uh, the team would just had him labeled as quote a tight end. And uh, they, he didn't like that, so he moved on. I would hate to see something like that come into play with Elton Jenkins. To the best of my knowledge, there's not a rule in place that that groups all the offensive linemen into one category when it comes to the franchise tag and configuring that number. So I would imagine he would fall uh, under guard. However, 
um, he would probably lobby for tackle, seeing that he played tackle. That's kind of a tricky, uh, sensitive subject there. But I want to see him extend him, okay? And when you look at David Bakhtiari's number, it's easy for people to say, well, you don't have the money. You're paying, you're, you're paying your offensive line too much already. Yes, you're paying Bakhtiari. But if you look at the landscape across the league, you look at the average cap hit for entire offensive lines, you'd be surprised. Green Bay Packers are not nowhere near the top. And the reason being are these these next seven players that I'm going to highlight. So with Elton Jenkins playing at $4.7 million according to Spotrack this year, I'd like to see them extend him, maybe even front load it. That way you can absorb some of that with all the cap space that you currently have right now. So moving on to number three, you got Josh Myers. Obviously, Josh Myers was a rookie last year. Uh, this year, he's due $1.9 million against the cap. He's still got three years left on his contract. Now, when I was uh, asked by uh, a listener on Twitter what justifies a good rookie season, one of the things that I had mentioned is uh, you know availability and pl- you know playing time is huge. If a rookie gets significant playing time on the Green Bay Packers, that's a win. I mean, like that's like Royce Newman. We'll talk about him in a second. But the fact that he played so many games last year as a rookie is freaking huge. Because that's not typically how the Packers do that. You know, Ryan's highlighted that in the past that the Packers typically don't like to play their rookies. They don't like to overplay them that much. I mean, look at Rashawn Gary and how he sat. He didn't hardly see the field at all his rookie year, right? And and every positions are different. And it's kind of hard to compare, you know, apples to oranges and, and, and vice versa. But when it comes to Josh Myers, the fact that he had that significant amount of, uh, uh, you know, significant amount of playing time, uh, I think that's huge for him. But at $1.9 million, very, very reasonable contract for the next three years if he continues to take a step and pans out. So moving on to number four, you got Roy Snooman. We just mentioned him, right? His cap hit this year is $949,000. That's chump change. He's got three years left, left on his deal. If they feel comfortable enough to play Roy Snooman um, any amount of time this year as, as far as a starter is concerned, then I mean, think of think of the money they're saving. There's teams around the league that are playing guards, paying guards three, four, five million dollars, and they're not that great of an offensive line. The Packers, when you look at the structure of their offensive line and these salary cap hits, it's put together very, very conservatively. Moving on to number five, you've got John Runyon. John Runyon is uh, one of my sneaky favorite players. He really is. You know, the fact that his pass grade. His pass blocking grade was so good last year. Um, I see John Runyon. He's got a little bit of a mean streak like his daddy did. And um, I, I really, really like uh, like John Runyon. He's sitting at $938,000 uh, cap hit. He's got two years left on his deal, so we're good there for a couple more years. Moving to number six, you've got the rookie Sean Ryan. Brand new, fresh, four-year deal, right? $931,000 against the cap. Now you're starting to see why they take those offensive line a little bit later. It's the same thing with David Bakhtiari. <clears throat> they took David Bakhtiari in the fourth round, guys. You understand the money that they saved taking him in the fourth round? And he ended up being the starting left tackle fairly soon. Like, I mean, it's unbelievable. And they drafted David Bakhtiari at left tackle when they didn't need a left tackle. It's funny how that always works out, no matter what position we're talking about. But when it comes to Sean Ryan, $931,000 four-year contract. Um, I really feel like this is going to be the front runner. This is going to be the guy who's going to see a significant amount of playing time this year. I'm really hoping if Elton Jenkins isn't ready to go week one, I'm hoping Sean Ryan can foot the bill at right tackle. I would love to see it. Could you imagine having a right tackle for the next four years on a salary cap hit number that freaking low? I mean, that is that would be absolutely awesome. Moving on to number seven, we've got uh, Jake Hansen. 
Jake Hansen carries a, a little bit of unique value. Um, first of all, he's on the last year of his contract, $825,000 chump change. We'll pay that all day, twice on Sunday, right? The But the thing that Jake Hansen brings to the table that's so valuable is he has a little bit of experience at center, okay? He's someone who could play that center position. That's something I think a lot of people take for granted. I know I have in the past, and then as I, I got a little bit more educated on offensive line play and 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 reading a couple books listen to a couple audio books and hear them talk about how the center position man that's not an easy position to play in my opinion it is the second most important position on the offensive line yeah, some people could argue it's the first i don't think it's any coincidence when you look at the great teams they had great centers i mean when you look at the pittsburgh steelers of the 70s they had the great the late great mike webster right patient zero just a uh, an awesome, awesome football player. They had him at center. You know, you look at some of the great Pittsburgh Steelers teams, uh, you know, especially they're uh, coming in the uh, 80s and 90s. I believe it was in the 90s they had Dermonte Dawson. I know him from Kentucky. Another great center, right? Um, I mean, you you look at uh, Peyton Manning, right? You see the famous sound by him in Indianapolis getting into it with Jeff Saturday, right? Jeff Saturday, an unbelievable center, right? You look at the teams that created dynasties, and they always had – a solid, solid center, always. So um, I think that that kind of value that Jake Hansen brings to the table is huge. Now, here's the deal. He's on the last year of his contract. Um, I don't see them re-signing him, especially with us drafting these three uh, three offensive linemen this year. So, But, again, that's one spot that's going to free up. Out of this entire list, if, this is the, if these nine are, are indeed the ones that are going to be the nine that are going to be on the roster for the most part, if everybody's healthy, we're only losing one of those nine, guys. I mean, if we re-sign Elton Jenkins. You've got two of these that are in the last year of their contract, Elton Jenkins and Jake Hansen. I think we could afford to franchise tag Elton Jenkins. However, I would much rather get an extension done. If you get an extension done, what you have in Elton Jenkins, if he is healthy and, and looks healthy moving forward, you've got a guy who could play left tackle when indeed we do move on from David Bakhtiari in 2024. That's what the contract su- suggests. Right when that cap hit hits 32 million, and we could save 21 million dollars. I want you to imagine this: David Bakhtiari is now he will be what 32 years old. He'll be 32 years old in 2024. You slide Elton Jenkins to left tackle, who will be in his prime, and you cut David Bakhtiari loose if he doesn't want to restructure, and you free up 21 million dollars, and you still have a borderline elite left tackle in Elton Jenkins. It's going to be crucial that we re-sign Elton Jenkins if the team doctors don't find any kind of long-term damage in that knee. It's going to be absolutely crucial. So we need to get Elton Jenkins' contract extended ASAP, just like we do Rashawn Gary as well. But moving on to the next one, uh, after Jake Hansen, you've got rookie Zach Tom. Zach Tom has really piqued my interest, and mainly because of Ryan. Ryan has has beat the table for this guy, right? And and he's he's someone who graded out really, really well. In college, it's my understanding, if I remember correctly, I've, I've looked at so many RASs and things. I believe Zach Tom, actually, I think his, no, it was Sean Ryan that graded out so well at each position. But nonetheless, Zach Tom, uh, you know, is going to be, I think he's going to be a solid player. I really, really do. I think he's going to, it might take a little while, but he's going to translate to the NFL very well. Well, obviously, he's on a four-year deal. Um, I'm projecting somewhere around $800,000 per year cap hit. Probably going to be a little bit less, but think about that for the next four years. I mean, that's going to be huge. 
And then you got number nine, Rasheed Walker. I'm really hoping Rasheed Walker makes the team because we want to capitalize on those four-year contracts. His deal's already done, only $725,000 toward the cap. So when you look at those nine offensive linemen that I'm projecting to be the top nine uh, on this team, if indeed they carry nine offensive line like they did last year, once everyone's healthy, there's literally, out of the nine, there's only three of those nine that are going to be over $1 million cap hit, guys. Like that is huge, and one of them, one of the uh, one of the three is only one point two million, and that's Josh Myers with him being a second round pick. So I mean, you're 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 sitting in a position where you can afford to re-sign Elton Jenkins. And the way I look at each position, I don't look at it from a salary cap standpoint. Of it's amazing to me how many people go, "We don't have the money, we don't have the money," <clears throat> and then Jair Alexander gets a huge extension. Everybody's like. The ones who said we don't have the money are just sitting quiet. They're not talking about it now, right? Because they don't understand how the cap works. I don't 100% understand how the cap works, but I understand enough to know that the structure, the cap penalties, where the dead, where the dead cap hits, um, how you can restructure contracts, all that stuff comes into play. They have plenty of room to move around. They really, really do. And I'll tell you one reason why they do that, that a lot of people don't talk about. When you look at backup quarterbacks and what they make in this league, it's it's pretty insane. Like I, I can't remember the exact number. I, I should have done a little more research and brought pull this up, but I will never forget when I heard uh, the uh, the amount of money, the amount of cap hit that New England's backup quarterback was getting at the time. I'm trying to think of his name, uh, Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer was making it was it was something like, I mean, it was something ridiculous. Like five, six million dollars a year. I'm going, holy cow! And I said it in the past podcast. Somebody made fun of me. He couldn't hit a bull in the butt with a mop. Like the dude, I mean, he he couldn't hit sand if he fell off a camel. And the guy was making all that money. And and, and then look at the offensive line right here, and the money that was. I mean, he's basically making more than Elton Jenkins this year. It's insane. So the fact that we drafted Jordan Love. As a quarterback of the future, and I'm I firmly believe he still is. I really do. There's just something about that kid. Hearing him in the in the press conferences or the uh, the interviews here at OTAs, this kid you can tell he loves the game and he wants it. I mean, he was borderline calling Aaron out. He really was. I loved it. It was like, hey, while I'm here, I'm the guy. While he's away, I'm the guy. And even when he's back, I'm going to be competing every day like I'm the guy. Like. And when I heard him, the way he talked, and I'm paraphrasing that, but that's kind of the vibe he put off. Um, when he, uh, when I heard him talk, it reminded me of Aaron Rodgers when he was young. You guys remember when Aaron came in the league, he ticked a lot of people off. He stepped in the locker room and called uh, called Brett Favre grandpa. Boy, that didn't go over good. I can only imagine what that. Of course, Brett at the time, man, that, that guy, he's a monster. He would have twisted Aaron up pretty quick with Aaron being a little kid coming out of college, but... Um, I don't know, man. I just I love the fact that Goody. That's another perk for them drafting Jordan Love, is because his salary cap hit is so low, right? Now you got that that fifth year option coming up here in a couple years that you got to make a decision on. But hey, don't worry about a problem you don't have, right? Cross that bridge when you get to it. And uh, I think that's just another another way when you look at this roster top to bottom as far as salary cap goes. Goody has done an excellent job putting this together. He really, really has. And with these linemen, again, I, I think the only person we lose next year is going to be Jake Hansen. And I think they make it work with David Bakhtiari. I really, really do. Unless Aaron decides to retire after one year here, 
and uh, and David Bakhtiari follows suit. You know, I really think that he'll be on on the roster next year. Now, like I said, 2024, that's a little bit different. But again, by that time, Bach might be looking to retire anyway. Who knows, right? He may be looking to move away with Frankie and enjoy their marriage and and go on about his life. But uh, in the meantime, man, this offensive line is put together. I'm so glad we're doing these exercises because it gives me a bird's eye view and looking at the numbers on paper, right? I wrote every one of these down, and I'm looking, I'm going, this is sitting pretty nice for the Green Bay Packers. It really, really is. You guys heard us talk about the wide receiver position, right? I mean, when you look at the wide receiver position, it was absolutely amazing. Justin in our uh, Discord chat on Packernet Podcast Discord chat actually tagged me earlier and said, man, hey, I, I enjoyed your show on the wide receiver position and uh, breaking down salary cap numbers. That I like. I think he, I think what he said was, I like your view on it. And, it. and it's so true. You can find negatives in anything, uh, but you can also find positives. And I'm telling you, man, that's one positive we got going in, in, in our favor right here. We've got the money to spend on wide receiver if we want to next year. And the thing about offensive line, they've proven in uh, year in and year out, Outside of Billy Turner, which we all know how I think they I think they learned a lesson with Billy Turner. Coach Hahn's going to come through the come through the speaker here and slap the crap out of me because he's a big Billy Turner fan. I personally am not. I defended him at first. People said that he was overrated. He shouldn't be given that contract. And I was going, you think you know more than the front office? A lot of those people were right, and I was wrong. So was the front office, in my my humble opinion. But you know, if you keep drafting and developing offensive line like the Packers have. This is this is how you have the room, the wiggle room to to put together a strong roster like they have in the past. Um, you know, it's I don't want to get into the other positions because we're going to save them for another episode. I was going to say Enig um, Barr, right, the rookie. If that pass rusher works out, that puts us in a position in here in two to three years that we can let Preston Smith go, free up all that salary cap. That's what I mean by people don't understand how the salary cap works. You're one or two cuts away from freeing up a ton of money because of the way these contracts are structured. You've seen it with, with Jair Alexander. Let me just give you one more example here real quick. Um, hang with me a second. I'm going to look up Jair Alexander's contract, and I'm going to explain that to you and, and kind of explain from a different different position's perspective what I mean by that. Okay, I got Jair's uh, contract pulled up right here. Just to kind of give you some perspective, in 2022, his cap hits $7 million. 2023, it jumps to 20 million. Rightfully so, the dude's a beast. His cap hit, his dead cap this year is 30 million. What that means is, if we cut him this year, we we would be on the hook for 30 million this year. Next year's dead cap is 24 million. So let's go through it year by year. 2023, next year, 20 million dollar cap hit. Dead cap will be 24 million. You'd be losing four million if you cut him. Not going to happen, right? 2024, 22 million dollar cap hit, only 18 million in dead cap. Okay, move to 2025. $23.5 million cap hit, only $12 million in dead cap. 2026, $25 million cap hit. You can only imagine, in 2026, guys, do you know what the cornerback position is going to be pulling in? I mean, if you think that that Jalen Ramsey's uh, contract was huge, and it was it uh, Xavier Howard, I think is how you say his name, I believe down there in Miami, his contract being huge, this one here, I mean, come on. When you look at it, in 2026, they're going to be making well over $25 million a year in cap hit. But $25.5 million in cap hit in 2026, guess what the dead cap is? $6 million. You could literally cut Jair loose in 2026. You're probably going, no, no, no. I agree with you. We don't want to cut him loose. I'm just giving this as an example of how the Packers structure these contracts. So when you get to the point where, okay, we're out of money, well, we can cut this guy. And in this case, if they were to cut 
I don't even want to say Jair's name because we know they're not going to cut him. This guy's going to be a stub forever. But let's say this is Joe Blow from Kokomo, right? And he's making $25.5 million, but he's only got a $6 million cap hit. You cut him loose and you automatically, instantaneously free up $19 million in cap space. That's what I mean when I hear people say, you're spinning, you're, you're overspending for the future. You're not going to have a future. You're not going to be able to. Okay, I'm just telling you. And then when it happens, they go quiet into the night and never say another word about the fact that we've got cap space now. So um, that's kind of how I'm looking at it. But, guys, we're, what, two positions in? We really dove, dove into the halfback position the other day and explained it was another example. You guys remember us talking about Aaron Jones right there. If we cut him loose next year, we save a ton of money. Hope they restructure him. He's one of my favorite Packer players, but business is business. What's best for the Packers moving forward? That's another avenue where they can free up money. Maybe saying, well, how can they afford to pay Elton Jenkins this money next year? That might be how. You free up $10 million there with uh, with Aaron Jones. I mean, my goodness. Look at the rest of the offensive line. And when you say kicking the can down the road, this is going to catch up to you sooner or later. It's not. Look at New Orleans. This is what cracks me up. Everybody the last three years said New Orleans keeps pushing, kicking the can down the road, and the Saints are going to pay for it. Sooner or later, they got to pay the piper. That's what the media kept saying. Well, here we are stepping into this new year, right? And and a lot of people are looking at them and going, if Jameis if 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 Jameis plays good down there this year, I mean he has weapons all around him. How does he have weapons around him? How did they pull that off? Because that's how the salary cap works. It here's here's where the people say the salary cap's fake, right? And others say no, it's one hundred percent real. They're both right. Okay, let me tell you tell you what I mean. The salary cap. You can maneuver the salary cap in so many ways you can make it work. But where the salary cap really comes into play and it becomes crucial, we've seen it firsthand this year, is when it's date sensitive. Okay? The salary cap comes into play when it comes to specific cut down time, cut down dates. You know, we cut Zadarius Smith loose. I think there's a multitude of reasons why they did it. But one of the reasons was they were running out of time with this Devontae trade. They were trying to get Aaron's contract done, and now you had Zadarius. They wanted to restructure it, and he didn't want to do that. Why? Why did they? Why did he get forced out? Why did all this stuff take place? Because we ran into a deadline, and as Andrew Brandt says all the time on the business of sports, deadlines spur activity. Right? When you get to the point where your back's against the wall with that deadline date, you've got to do drastic things. And when you do, then you got everybody coming. Oh, I thought the salary cap wasn't real. It's real when it comes to specific dates and having to cut costs and getting under that number at a certain time. But as far as long term, you can make just about anything work. I mean, not anything. You can't put together a, you know, a super team like the NBA does, which in my opinion is, is why they're tanking that, and for political reasons. But they're, you know, they've 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 tried to, they've tried to stretch this uh, experiment along a little bit too far with building these super teams, and I think they're finding their fan base don't like it. Um, you know, that's what's so beautiful about, you know, I'm not a big basketball fan. I'm much like Ryan. I don't hardly watch it at all, but I will turn it on and watch Giannis. You guys have really got me paying attention to Giannis because I'm hearing this guy might be the best of his generation. And, uh, you know, they, they do things a little bit different there. That doesn't feel like a super team to me, right? And look at what happened out in L.A., you know, with the L.A. Lakers and LeBron. It's just that stuff has just ruined their sport, right? It's absolutely ruined it. And I, I love the fact that the NFL and the way things are structured, it seems to be this perfect blend. 
this perfect blend where it's going to keep the integrity of the game intact from a sense of um, you're not going to have super teams. You're really not. It, and, and you might be sitting there and go, yeah, you do. You have super teams. Okay. Well, I'll tell you this. Nobody picked the L.A. Rams to win the Super Bowl last year. Sorry. I don't remember hearing anybody talking about it. Yep, that's my favorite. What they did say, though, is, yeah, they got a shot, just like the Packers had a shot, just like Tampa Bay had a shot, just like Buffalo Bills had a shot, just like the Kansas City Chiefs had a shot, right? The the parity, I mean, the, the way the league is structured is just amazing. And uh, I'll tell you one other thing as we wrap up here. I know this isn't Packer talk, but we're kind of talking about contracts, right, this time of year and how they're structured here specifically to the Green Bay Packers and how, how different contract uh, you know rules and regulations with different leagues play into the popularity of their sport and, and how close the competition stays. Uh, college football this year, I don't know if you guys are college football fans. I, I was a diehard college football fan when I discovered the Green Bay Packers back in 2003, and I said, holy cow, that team, that is cool. The tradition with the Packers, all that that I didn't know, I've got to go up there. I took one visit up there and fell in love with the Packer fans. I was like, this is where I belong. I love this fan base. Um, but I was a college football fan before then, and I had since lost interest because it always bothered me. I'm a business guy, and and I, I love I love taking an idea, putting it on paper, and saying, how can I turn this into a profitable business? We've done it now five, six times. I'm working on our six right now. And I, listen, I'm no, I'm the farthest thing from a from a Bezos or whoever, right? Elon Musk, or trust me, I'm and no, no, I, I, I don't want you to get the false, imper- you know, impression that I'm this big wig. Not at all. I'm blue collar as they come. But I love the idea of taking something, putting it on paper, and trying to develop it into a successful business. And the thing that's really piqued my interest about college football with this new NIL stuff is the fact that this is it's the Wild West now. You got uh, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher going at each other's throats, and it's hilarious to me because for the longest time, th- this NCAA was pulling in all this money, right? I think I I, I don't want to botch the numbers. I heard somebody say it's a billion dollar industry. It may be more, it may be less. I don't know. I just know these universities are making so much money off these players, and the fact that they couldn't even they weren't even allowed to get a job. The whole reason I went into business is because I realized I hit a point in my life where my wife and I went from a huge combined income. I say huge. I mean, it was decent. We had a combined income of about, this was back in 2008, uh, of 110 grand, right? And it went to zero in the blink of an eye because of the economy. And I remember sitting back going, this will never happen again. Never again will I depend on another man or a woman to pay me a paycheck. I'm going to go out and create something on my own. I, I knew this was the route I should have took a long time ago. I got lazy and just wanted somebody to tell me what to do every day and, and write me a paycheck every Friday, right? Uh, spend a little bit on stuff I wanted to do on Packer Packer merch and then put the rest in the savings, and then I, it bit me in the butt. And I, I just I, I look at the college game, and I go, these people are making all this money, and these players aren't even allowed to get a job. They're not allowed to make money off the – they're not allowed to sign a contract and get paid for it. Or not a contract, but sign an autograph and get paid for it. Like, this is as anti-American as it freaking gets. I'm like, I'm done with this crap. It got to the point where it was just so annoying to me. And now this NIL stuff is hit, and these players are allowed to make money. you got kids that are coming out of the freaking ghetto. you got people that are coming out of, out of areas where they don't know if they're going to survive this week because the gun violence is so bad or the – 
or the you know the the gangs and and, and what have you like and and then you got people from even the country that they don't they don't have a, a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of right and their parents are trying to make ends meet and probably struggling to buy them you know shoulder pads to play football and, and cover the cost of their uniform and all this and and now they can work their tail off and then step in as a freshman and make six figures like I, I believe it was Bryce Young uh I think I'm saying his name right I, like I said I'm not huge on college football I'm getting back into it now but the quarterback for Alabama I think they said he signed one NIL deal and made 800 grand I love that that's families lives that are being impacted immediately that's the american way that's how things should be so as I'm seeing these two college coaches bicker knowing knowing good and well uh, between the two of them they're making 20 million dollars but yet they they're upset because player and they'll tell you they're not upset over NIL but what they're upset about is this is making them think outside of the box a little bit especially Saban right I hope I'm not hope I'm not ticking off too many Bama fans I'm actually a Saban fan myself I, I like the guy I do but it just bothers me the culture that was created in college football like I'm a, the coaches are allowed to make millions of dollars the athletic directors are allowed to make a ton of money all these people are allowed to take all this money and profit from it but the guys who are the, the kids that are risking their lives on the field every I, I say lives maybe that's a bit extreme they're risking uh you know uh, ending their career permanently where they can't even uh, attempt to work their way toward an NFL career and make the money that they feel like they deserve and they probably do deserve and they're not allowed to even sign an autograph and get paid for it like that's as backwards as it's come so the new NIL is exciting it really is I, I don't mean to rant it's just again we're talking about contract structure we're talking about the future of the Packers this and that and uh, I think it's really, really important to kind of draw a parallel with the other leagues. And I think the National Football League is the, the best thing going. I really, really do. And uh, and, it's, and especially the Green Bay Packers. Man, I'm in love with this team. I'm sure you guys can hear it. You're probably either rolling your eyes saying you're a geek or you're you're sitting there, you know, pounding the table going, me too, man. I can't wait for the season to start. And uh, you're both probably right, to be to be honest with you. But anyway, that's the show. Again, we want to break down the offensive line, give you a little bit of Cal Hubbard history. Um, and really the whole purpose of this show, guys, let's be honest, Ryan Schlipp is safe and sound. We've seen your concern on the Facebook uh, page. We've seen you on Twitter. Everybody was reaching out, worried about it. Some people said I took him hostage and was making him watch Roadhouse on loop. Uh I, I could see that happening, but that's that's not the case in in this specific uh, scenario. So he's safe and sound. Um, there's your episode. Hope you guys have a wonderful day. If you're listening to this, you're probably on the grind at work, man. Hope it hope it uh, ease the pain of being at work for uh, eight, ten, twelve hours, whatever it was. That's that's our goal here, man. Is to uh, give you guys a little mini vacation from uh, away from the every you know everyday grind of life and. And just give you something to listen to. So as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. You can be anywhere in the world and you're choosing to hang out here here with us and uh, and put up with our nonsense. We we greatly, greatly appreciate it. But let's go out and be the change that we want to see in the world. And I do want to say this. Thoughts and prayers to the families of the, of the shooting victims there uh, with the school shooting. It's just terrible. There's so many things I want to say. Um, but, you know, what I do try to pride myself on with this podcast is I, I'm keeping politics and sensitive subject like that out of it. Again, you guys are probably listening because you want a little break away from life, and you're probably upset that I even mentioned it, but I do think it's important that we say you know, thoughts and prayers to everyone involved. So, uh, again, let's go out and be the change that we want to see in the world. And as always, go Pack Go.